0: A Bible today, let's open up to Job uh, chapter 40. As this evening we get to finish the book of Job. And if you don't have a Bible, um it's kind of cool to have one in your lap to follow along. And so uh if you would like one, the ushers will bring you one. All you have to do is raise your hand and uh and they'll bring you a Bible. But you know, today we we finish up the book of Job and uh you know, it's a, it's a lesson for us in that, we know, we go through hard times in life, man. We go through the tragedies, and a lot of us here, we come from broken families and backgrounds that are tough, you know, and, uh, and the enemy would like to use that as ammunition uh, in many ways, maybe even to convince us that God doesn't love us or that we have no hope for our future. But the book of Job, it just, uh, it gives us that truth in this land of lies that no matter what we go through in life. And I don't know what you guys are going to face. I don't know the calamities, the tragedies, the tough times that you're going to experience. No matter what it is, uh, the book of Job teaches us that God somehow, he works everything together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. If you remember in the beginning, the devil came to God and he said, all I got to do is make things go bad for Job and he'll curse you to your face. And, and then he'll die. And, and so that's really the background to the whole book. That was the wager. That was the bet between him and God. And so I, I just want to encourage you guys, you know, no matter what you face, don't give up. Don't give up on life. Don't give up on God. He still has amazing plans for your life. And, you know, Job reached a point where he wanted to die, man. He wanted to commit suicide. He didn't want to continue to live and thank God he didn't do that, because at the end of the day, what we're going to see is God gave him another 170 years to live, and he lived a pretty awesome life. And so uh, today we're going to talk about the, the dinosaurs. Any of you interested in dinosaurs? Um, we're going to talk about the sea dragons. I don't know if anyone uh, believes in those. Um, I'm not 100% sure that's what they are. But, but basically what God says is, I made the dinosaurs, I made the sea dragons, I rule the universe, I, I take care of the universe so I can take care of you. That's what he basically says. And so we got a lot of text to read, but uh, look what we see here in Job 40 and verse 15. Uh, it says, look now at the behemoth. And that... Word behemoth in the Hebrew language is just the word beasts, plural. Look at the beasts, he says, which I I made along with you. He eats grass like an ox. See now his strength is in his hips and his power is in his stomach muscles. He moves his tail like a cedar. Now that's an interesting phrase right there. Uh, uh, The tail like a cedar. You guys know what a cedar tree is, right? That's huge. That's a huge tree, um, and some will say, well, no, he's just talking about cedar branches. Well, that's really not what the Hebrew word says. It talks about a cedar tree. So what animal has a tail like a cedar tree? And the only one I can think of is, uh, is a dinosaur. Look what he says right here. He says, the sinews of his thighs are tightly knit. His bones are like beams of bronze. His ribs like bars of iron. He is the first of the ways of God. Now it's interesting right there, you know, because we we know that um, as far as looking at the order of creation, um, this isn't an animal that was made first. Uh, What it probably means is he's the chief of the ways of God. And really when you study it out, it basically at the end of the day, it says he's the biggest animal. And so again, pointing to uh, a dinosaur, right? It says, uh, he's the first of the ways of God, the chief, only he who made him can bring near his sword. Uh, surely the mountains yield food for him and all the beasts of the field play there. He lies under the lotus trees in a covert of reeds and marsh. The lotus trees cover him with their shade, their willows by the brook surround him. Indeed, the river may rage, yet he is not disturbed, he is confident through the Jordan gushes into his mouth, though it gushes into his mouth, doesn't bother him, though he takes it in his eyes, or one pierces his nose with a snare. And so, uh, again, you know, we're not 100% sure, I need to be honest with you. Um, Some actually believe this is a hippopotamus, others say it's an elephant, and then there are those of us, like myself, Pastor Chuck Smith, who are inclined to believe that this is a dinosaur, um, what we see right here is interesting, uh, we have a picture of a dinosaur, uh, you know how they've changed over the years, it used to be called brontosaurus, uh, now they have a couple of different words, uh, I think we have a picture of a brachiosaurus, and so, you know, you look at how big that thing is, uh, they say it's 40 feet tall, and so I don't know if you can see the person right there, but they're pretty small, you know, and, uh, it was not carnivorous, it was herbivorous, I think that's what it's called, um, and that means that they didn't eat meat, uh, they ate herbs. And so, um, you know, that when you look at this, uh, verse 19, only he who made him can bring near his sword. It basically says only its creator can threaten it. It's not a T-Rex because it likes the shade and it wasn't afraid of the river that overflowed. As a matter of fact, it might be uh, another uh, dinosaur. Uh, they call it Argentina. I don't know where they, maybe they found it in Argentina. I'm not sure where they, there's another one um, that it's, I think we have a picture of it. Um, and so you see it there, the Argentinosaurus in the water under the, the lotus tree, so to speak. And, uh, and so Job, as he's talking about all the animals, he's talked about 12 animals up to this point. You know, he's going to keep it literal, it's not going to be purely symbolic. Although it will be partially symbolic. Because, you know, what, what Job was going through is he was challenging God. He was complaining uh, against God. He was saying, I don't get it. I had 10 kids and they all died. I lost all my health. I lost all my money. I lost all my wealth. And here I am now covered in boils from head to toe. And so he was, he was coming against God. He was complaining, right? Charging God with wrong, Saying he wanted his day in court. He wanted justice, And so, you know, we go through hard times, and we might ask God why. And I'll be honest with you, God, he he can't tell you why. You want to know why he can't tell you why? Because you wouldn't understand. Lord, why did my dad leave and walk out of my life when I was three? Why was my mother in that car accident? You know, why was my mom and dad, they're going in and out of my life, all my life. Why did I get caught up with the wrong crowd? Why did I start getting high, and just doing that every day of my life, or the drugs, or why wasn't I raised in the, you know, the, uh, you know, the beautiful family, so to speak, some of you here were, some of us here weren't, some of you here, you have seen tremendous heartache in your life, and you know, you might get upset, you might get bitter, but God just wants you to trust Him, because God can take all those things, even our own mistakes, I like to tell people, he can take even our own sins, our own mistakes, and he can take what were intended to be stumbling stones and make them stepping stones. You know, one of the things I've found in life is that people who mess up, they're more open to God because they realize that they need him. I needed God. I was hurting. I was dying inside. I couldn't stop doing what I was doing on my own strength. I needed God. And so what we're going to see in Job is cool because it's a combination of being an example of a man who held to his integrity, but also being an example of a man who fell short. He, we're going to see in the end, he wasn't 100% perfect. He did mess up. He had to repent. He had to confess his sin, and God restored him. And so it doesn't matter where you are. Maybe you messed up. It doesn't matter. You know, God will give you a second chance. God says, "I made the dinosaurs. I I rule the universe, and I can rule over your life. I can take everything, even the beast. That word is the beast. I got control even over the beast. Don't worry. I got it all taken care of. You know, just in case you're wondering though about dinosaurs." Um, we know that evolutionists tell us that dinosaurs uh, uh, became extinct somewhere between 65 to 70 million years ago, and I don't know any scientists that that's that that's old that that's, who's that old. But somehow they know, you know, all these things. Um, but I don't think the world or the Earth is actually that old. You know, one of the things that we find is really interesting because some people say, well, first there were the dinosaurs, and then they became extinct, and then. You know, millions of years later, um, man came into existence. But, but one of the things that we find is that when you look at the fossil evidence, you'll find that dinosaurs and man coexisted. They've even found not only footprints, but they've found bones and teeth uh, in the same strata. Here's something that's interesting that no scientist can answer. Um, in, in ancient literature all around the world, all these, uh, you know, civilizations—they write about the dinosaurs. They write about the dragons in their hieroglyphics, in their writings. But yet, modern man didn't really know the existence of dinosaurs until 1820, in when they were uh, discovered by the English doctor Gideon Mantell. And so, if we only really discovered the fossil evidence in 1820. How did the other guys back in ancient civilization know all about them unless there was a time when they did indeed see them? And of course, the stories go down throughout generations. And so people wonder, well, what what then happened to them? And uh, it's interesting, again, now, you guys, if you study this out, there's different opinions, uh, but I kind of believe that they were uh, existent simultaneously, you can find fossil evidence for small dinosaurs. And so more than likely what happened is eventually they became extinct. They were even taken on the ark, believe it or not. They say there are only 40 variety of different dinosaurs. And so um, some people, any of you guys uh, know that guy Kent Hovind? Any of you guys study that guy out? He actually believes dinosaurs are still around today. They're just lizards. Did you guys know that? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I'm not that smart. He, you know, I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but lizards and those kind of reptiles, they keep growing. And so if you give something hundreds and hundreds of years to grow, perhaps that's the answer. But I do know this, that they were existent simultaneously. Job here writes about them. And the main point that God is trying to make is this, I made the dinosaur... I I made the universe. I I, I maintain and care about the universe. And so I can care about you. You know, next we read about another interesting creature in chapter 41 in verse 1. He says, can you draw out Leviathan with a hook or snare his tongue with a line which you lower? Can you put a reed through his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make supplications or many supplications to you? Will he speak softly to you? Will he make a a covenant with you? Will you take him as a servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird or will you leash him for your maidens? I mean, obviously what God is saying is that you can't, I can. That's what God is saying. And he's talking now about a sea dragon. It's interesting He says, will your companions make a banquet of him? Will they uh, apportion him among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hand on him. Remember the battle. Never do it again. Indeed, any hope of overcoming him is false. Shall not one be overwhelmed at the sight of him? No one is so fierce that he would dare stir him up. Who then, God says, is able to stand against him? me. You know God says I can take care of the sea dragon and you guys know that. God says, you know, that you're overwhelmed when you see it. So if I can take if I can handle this sea dragon, then why are you God says to Job trying to challenge me? Do you know who I am? That's basically what we see right here. Just as you couldn't fish for the beast or the behemoth, the dinosaur, neither could you fish for the leviathan and god tells job i created it therefore i can control it and he says if you're honest job you know that you can not you can't capture it you can't hook it you can't leash it he says there in verse 9 indeed any hope of overcoming him is false as a matter of fact you'll be overcome if you saw it imagine going out there in the boat one day and seeing a a sea dragon would you guys trip out any of you guys be afraid No, you do FaceTime live, huh? You'd be like, that's not a problem. (laughs) You know, but um, if you were there, and I don't know, we have some pretty interesting uh, pictures, people, you know, artists and stuff. And I was going to show you guys some of them, but I didn't want to scare you. But man, it's amazing when you think of this creature right here. Uh, Again, the application is found there in verse 10. No one is so fierce that he would dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand against me? Who has preceded me that I should pay him? Everything God says under heaven is mine. You know, Job said, "God, I want—I I, got to talk to you, man, because I think you're off. I think that the way that you're running the universe is wrong." You know, and a lot of people—and I'll be honest with you—you you look out in the world today, and there's a lot of evil going on. There's a lot of crazy things, and you know, and. And part of us wants to say, God, if you're all loving and all powerful, I don't understand it. You know, and and God, I think in a sense, understands that we feel that way. But whatever you do, don't start, you know, complaining. Don't start charging him with wrong. What you got to do in light of what we're learning in the book of Job is you got to trust him. You got to trust him to know that one day every wrong will be made right. And one day God is going to come, and He's going to set things straight. You see, God is in control. You know how many of you here? And I could talk to many of you. I think of uh, of, of Pastor Henry. You know, when his mom got cancer, he got saved. And of course, you would never want anyone to get cancer. But if that's what it t- takes to bring someone to salvation then I I know he would say and his mom would say, then then let it come. When my father-in-law was diagnosed with cancer, which he died of, he got saved. You know, I mean, what we find is that God will take these tragedies and he'll use them for victories, you see? And so we got to trust the Lord. We look at the world and we think it's all messed up. But what God is doing is God is working out this whole thing for his glory. And so right here, you know, God said to Job, you shouldn't really approach me like that. You know, I don't need to pay. I don't owe anyone anything, no explanation. It's mine, Job. And what you got to do is you got to trust me on this. You know, and again, doesn't mean that you can't ask God, you know, to comfort you. You know, if something happens in your life, when we had our two miscarriages, and for us that was tough, you know, because I was finally getting older and I felt like I was finally getting smart enough to be a dad. And so when I found out that my wife was pregnant, I was so happy because I thought, man, I'm going to be a good dad now because I kind of messed up with the first two, you know. (laughs) And then, you know, five months into it, you found out that you lost the baby. You know, so you're like, you recover from that. You know, and then it happens again. And you found out that you lost the baby. You know, and what's God doing? You know, we live in a fallen world and things like that happen. But he's developing character in us. And so, you know, one day I'll see my kids in heaven. I'll see all four of them in heaven. But, you know, it also prompts me then to then look into other little children and see them in that sense. Or to adopt a a little girl in Cambodia and to see her as... You know, my daughter. I mean, God will take everything, and he'll use it for good. I found out when I was in Nepal this last time that, um, and it was funny because, you know, they asked me to share my testimony, and I didn't, I didn't even really want to share, you know, because I felt like, well, my story is really not that dramatic. And I, I, even I was thinking with the team, well, they already know my testimony. So in all honesty, I didn't really want to do it. You know, Joey did it, and he has a good testimony, because he died twice, you know, and he came back to life, and I thought, well, that's a good testimony, because he got shot, and he went to the hospital, and he flatlined twice, and well, that's good, you know, but um, mine, ah, it's not that big of a deal, but then, as I began to think it through, um, just, you know, different things about my life, I found out that, in, in one sense, even though my parents did the best they could, the one thing that I always wanted it was a family, because I didn't have that, and I remember, again, when my dad walked out when I was three, I remember holding on to his leg as he was leaving us there by Garvey. I still remember that. I have that visual in my mind. I have the visual of just different things. Again, like I said, they're doing the best they can, but you, know, it's, you just can't do it when you don't have the Lord, right? And I remember going and living with my aunt and uncle after my dad got shot in a drive-by shooting. I remember um, living with my aunt and uncle and, and asking them if I could call them mom and dad. Because I felt like, in the foolishness of who I was, I was just a kid, I didn't think I had one. I, what I was looking for was a family, right? You know, and then as I go through and then I discover, well, God says, no, you got a family, you got a mom, you got a dad. God restored those relationships. And then not only that, when I got saved, I got a family. Then I got my own family, my own biological family. And what that did to me is it made me want to be a better husband and a better dad. Something that maybe I would never have wanted to do, had I not gone through the things that I did. See, all I'm trying to say, you guys, is that God will take everything that the enemy intended for evil and he will use it for good. Because, you know, the dragon here, we're going to see is symbolic of the devil. Even though I believe it's a literal dragon, it really is symbolic of, of, of the devil. Look what we read in verse 12 uh, I will not conceal his limbs. God says his mighty power or his graceful proportions. Who can remove his outer court? Who can approach him with a double bridle? Who can open the doors of his face with his terrible teeth all around? His rows of scales are his pride. Shut up tightly as with a seal. One is so near another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They stick together and cannot be parted. Check this out. His sneezings flash forth light, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning lights. Sparks of fire shoot out. Smoke goes out of his nostrils as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals, and a flame goes out, of his mouth. I mean, isn't that that's cool, huh? <laughs> you know, the the dragons and the water, and it just breathes out. You know, this these flames. I don't know all the details of it, but this is what what it, what God is talking about. Strength dwells in his neck, and sorrow dances before him. The folds of his flesh are joined together; they are firm on him and cannot be moved. His heart is as hard as stone. Even as heart as the lower millstone, when he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid. Because of his crashings, they are beside themselves. Though the sword reaches him, it cannot avail, nor does spear, dart, or javelin. He regards iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. The sling stones become like stubble to him. Darts are regarded as straw he laughs at the threat of javelins. His undersides are like sharp pot He His spreads pointed marks in the mire. He makes the deep boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. He leaves a shining wake behind him. One would think the deep had white hair. On earth there is nothing like him which is made without fear. Look at verse 34. He beholds every high thing. He is king over all the children of pride. And so, you know, it's literal. It's a a, a sea dragon of some sort, but it's also symbolic. He talks about his limbs and his power and his outer coat, the scales, which literally in the Hebrew language speak of shields. His terrible teeth, uh, sneezing out flashes of fire and lightning. And so some would say it's a crocodile or an alligator. Um, and maybe they're right, but I actually believe it's, uh, it's, like a, it's just like it says. You know, there's a the rule of interpretation in the Bible. It says if it makes sense, you seek no other sense. And we found that whenever you can, you're best to take the Bible literally. Now, have you guys ever seen one of these? Anybody here? I'll bet you you have. I'll bet you have. I think we have a picture of one. And I want to ask you guys if you've ever seen uh, this one right here. Have you guys ever seen that? Fantasmic. Disneyland. That's what that is, right? You guys know his name? His name is Murphy. Seriously. (laughs) And, you know, I thought that was interesting because there's the the dragon. And who fights the dragon? Mickey Mouse, right? And I think he wins. And that's kind of what God has done in our life. You know Mickey's cool, he's symbolic of good, and I think that's pretty <laughs> awesome because <laughs> some people criticize Disneyland. It's not all bad, you know, but you know when you look at this, it's interesting. Uh, I think it was more ferocious than Murphy. Uh, we have another picture, I think here, and uh, this is kind of more what we what we visualize when we uh when we think of a dragon and and you know uh, Satan is. A dragon. It says that in Revelation chapter 12. He's described as a dragon and as a serpent. And you can go back to Genesis 3, and there's the serpent. You know, it's interesting when you read the scriptures how frequently it speaks of uh, of leviathan. You know, and and this fire that comes out. Some people right away they'll say, "Oh, it's impossible." But you know, there's a there's a creature. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It's called the bombardier beetle. Anybody ever heard of a bombardier beetle? There's these little beetles. I guess what they have is they have these two uh, chemicals that, whenever they want to, they can actually put the chemicals together, and it shoots out this uh, kind of like um, this uh, lightning. I don't want to say lightning. It's just you know this chemical like a fire, like a gas. And with that, uh, they say, instantly it reaches boiling degree temperature. So imagine putting your, your hand in, in boiling water. That's how it would feel along with these gases that ends up uh, fatally, you know, killing their predators, whoever that might be. And so there's still, you know, evidence of things like this today. Even I was thinking of, a, a, what are they called, lightning bugs? I don't know if that's the same thing. But you know, um, when I read this right here, I'm like, Lord, I'm going to take this literally. I-, I believe this is real. This is exactly what you said. But but also, I think we need to see this for what it is in a symbolic fashion. You know, there's this le- Leviathan. And uh, I believe it's literal, but it's also pointing to Satan himself. Verse 24 here tells us that his heart is as hard as stone. You know, that's Satan, right? Uh, a heart of stone. And notice, well, again, we read in verse 34 that this creature is the king over all the children of pride. And I don't know about you, but that's all I need to find out that this is the devil himself. You know, and of course, we know in Revelation 12 that when Satan, the dragon, fell from heaven, he drew a third of the stars with him. And so that means there's a third of these fallen angels. They're now demons. And the Bible predicts that one day this dragon, this beast who rises in the sea, whose words, if you think about it, and here's something interesting, breathing out fire. I mean, that's what, in one sense, the devil does, is he breathes out lies. Right? I mean, that's how he does his damage in many ways. But one day, according to Isaiah 27, verse 1, God's going to deal with him. It says, In that day, the Lord with his sore and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. And so, that's future, because when you read Isaiah 27, it's talking about future, it's talking about the millennial kingdom, it's talking about heaven. So, he's real, he was then. But he's also real and he's now. So, what is God saying? He's saying he's got this that even Leviathan, the devil himself, can't touch you because you are a Christian, because you have given your life to the Lord. I'm no match for the devil, but the devil's no match for God, right? And the Bible says in 1 John 4 4 that. He who is in you, God is in us. He's greater than he who is in the world. And the Bible says in Isaiah 54, 17, that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And that's the cool thing that we have as God's children. If we're God's children and we're, you know, serving in God's church made righteous by his blood then I think we learn a lot of the things from Job. One thing we learn is that there's nothing to be afraid of. We don't have to fear the devil. We don't have to fear if man comes against us. We don't have to fear because if God is for us, then who can be against it? We don't have to fear. Not only that, we don't have to complain. We have really nothing to complain about because everything now that comes our way has been filtered through God's sovereign love. And you know what we can do no matter what it is? We can thank Him. Thank you, Lord, for that trial. Thank you for that difficulty. Thank you, Lord, that I, you know, was living paycheck to paycheck because it made me depend on you. Or thank you, Lord, you know, that I didn't know, I I lost my job and I didn't know how I was going to make it through to pay the rent or put food on the table for my family. And then, you know, you showed up and somebody put some, some groceries there because then I knew what I should have known all along, that you are the provider. Thank you, Lord, because, you know, I didn't know how I was going to pay my tax bill. Next thing you know, these this, this funds roll in, that I, you know. And so when you go through the hard times, you know, God shows you who he is. You know, in closing this book right here, it's really cool the way that it ends. In verses 1 through 3 of chapter 42, we have Job's confession In verses 4 through 6, we have Job's progression. In verses 7 through 9, we have his intercession. And then in verses 10 through 17, we have his restoration. And this is one of the greatest lessons that we can ever learn in life. Because we have gone through hard times. And we will go through hard times. Especially if you're seeking God. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because remember, Job was blameless, upright, feared God, shunned evil. He was a man of integrity, and that's why the devil came after him. And so if you ever come to that place where you're like all in, Lord, I'm all in, I'm, I'm yours, then the devil will come after you. But you don't have to be afraid, right? Look at verse 1, chapter 42. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Lord, no one can stop you. You asked, who is this who hates counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Here's Job's confession. You know, He didn't do what the devil said he would do. The devil said that he will curse you to your face. Job didn't do that. But he did question. He did complain. And so Job asks for forgiveness. Forgive me, Lord. I I shouldn't even have done that. You know, the NLT says, You asked who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I, and I was talking about things I knew nothing about. Things far too wonderful for me. You know, I mean, again, I don't know what you've gone through in life. You know, a loved one who died. You know, I mean, I can, we, we, in El Mani, we we talked to so many people. I remember when we were on Garvey, we had the little uh, building there on Garvey. And when we get, you know, these, these ladies in, unfortunately, we're working the streets. And we would find out their story and how the heartache they went through. Or we would talk to these guys that were, you know, buying drugs or selling drugs. The guys would roll in. They just got out of prison, and they would tell us their story. You know, 95% of them never had a dad, you know. And, and so, you know, you go through those hard times. And, you know, as a kid, you know, growing up, then you might wonder, well, Why? Why? Lord, explain it to me. Why? Why did that happen to me? And, you know, the truth is that even if God explained everything to you, you still wouldn't understand. You still wouldn't understand because you understand that in your life, do you realize that in your life, God is ministering to a billion people? You would never know it. Here's Job, one life, how many people has he ministered to? You know, and there's someone over there, and I was thinking of, uh, of Katie, and I was thinking of uh, Mike and Teresa's uh, daughter, um, Tanil, two girls, young girls, who decided to become missionaries. The girls, for whatever reason, have more courage, huh? I don't know how it works. And look at how many lives they've influenced. See, you don't understand. That the things that you go through, they touch millions, if not billions of people sometimes. And so, if God were to try to explain everything to you, why you went through the difficulties you went through, you just wouldn't understand. And Job finally came to that point. He said, Lord, forgive me. I wanted to challenge you. I complained, but now I realize, he says there in verse three, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me. Which I did not know. And so I want to encourage you don't question God, don't complain against God, don't challenge God, just trust God and thank God for the difficulties. Because you know what I always tell people? The greater the pain, the greater the purpose. The greater the battle, the greater the blessing. You watch. How God can take someone like Saul who was so bad and use him to be so good. And God has a way of doing that, huh? Taking the worst, the guys that everyone else give, had given up on and say he's going to be a mighty man of valor in my life. See? And so first, Job's confession. Secondly, Job's progression. Look at verse 4. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said... I will question you and you shall answer me. That's what God had said to Job. And he said, here's my answer, Lord. Verse 5, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. You see, he progressed here by, by seeing him in light of God's greatness. You know, I'm not sure if necessarily the hearing and the seeing are literal. They might be. But I do know there was a profound growth in Job's life because he saw how awesome God was. If we could see how awesome God is, then we would grow. I mean, the one who spoke the stars into existence by the power of his word... I mean, in the presence of his love, in the presence of his holiness, right? I mean, it really hit home. How can anyone really question the creator, the maker and maintainer of man? Again, if God can take care of the universe, he can take care of you. And so Job not only progressed in, his, in, his, uh, in seeing God and the vision of God, he also progressed in the vision of himself. And I'll be honest with you guys, man. I don't know if you ever do this, but um, I do. I, I go and I spend time with the Lord, and I just tell the Lord, man, I hate who I am. I hate who I am in and of myself. I mean, do you ever get these crazy, wicked thoughts? You know, do you guys ever get filled with pride out of curiosity? You know, um, you know. It's just. I mean, I, I abhor myself. Sometimes I'll be kneeling before the Lord, just weeping, because I see myself for who I really am in light of who He really is. You know, and I and I and I just know. You know, the the things that I fall short in. You know, the the way that you know we uh, we were prideful. We have this inclination to sin. The way we love ourselves so much uh, more than God or others. The the jealousies, the envies, the laziness, the prayerlessness, the covetousness, the gluttony, the mutiny, the idolatry. I mean, you go on and on. When you really take a good look at yourself. I'm not talking about when God's working in you, but just you, us, in and of ourself. Man, we would say the same thing that, that Job says. I abhor myself. And I really, I really repent. When he says, I repent in dust and ashes, what he's saying is, I really do. I mean, in a dramatic fashion. I'm not just offering lip servants. I turn from my sin. And Lord, I trust in you. I mean, there was this confession. There was this progression, which then allowed him the intercession. In verse 7, and so it was, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the The Temanite, my wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams, go to my servant Job, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly, that's justice, Because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite went and did as the Lord commanded them. For the Lord had accepted Job. And so it's cool looking at this. You guys remember Job's three friends? They kept telling him, man, the reason you're suffering is because you're in sin. And that wasn't the case. He had just been chosen by God to do a different work, and so um, when God came, God said, "You guys, you know, you deserve judgment, but I'm going to tell you what you need to do. You need to offer the sacrifices, and you need Job to pray for you. and And when Job prayed for them, we're going to see, then they were they received mercy." And so there's a lesson for us there. You guys know that when you pray for people, it makes a difference? You guys know that when you're praying for people, that God will show them mercy, that God will work in their life? There is this power of intercession. Not only that, it's interesting that, remember how these friends were treating Job? They were bad to him. But God said, pray for them. Just like Jesus said in Matthew 5.44, pray for your enemies love your enemies and it's interesting because this morning i wasn't really i didn't really know this what i would talk about but this morning when i was praying i was praying for my enemies and i'm not bragging or anything it was one of the good days i guess you could say but um you know i i think that i have enemies not because i hate them but because i know that they they hate me that they don't want me to succeed and i think of them sometimes and i pray for them but not just that they would be blessed, although I do pray that over their life, but also because I know that that when I pray for my enemies, that I will be blessed. Because that's what happens to Job. Look at verse 10. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. They were frenemies, remember? They were friends and enemies. But they were really friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job, check it out. This is now the restoration twice as much as he had before. Then all his brothers, all his sisters, and all those who had been his acquaintances before, they came to him and ate food with him in his house, and they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversity that the Lord had brought upon him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and each a ring of gold. Now verse 12, I don't know if you underline your Bible, but this is a good place to underline. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job, more than his beginning. And he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And he called the names of the first Jemimah, the name of the second Keziah, the name of the third uh, Hapuk, In all the land were found no woman so beautiful as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And I'll bet you almost anything, their beauty was not just an external beauty. I'll bet you there was also an internal beauty. And it says, and after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren and their uh, children for four generations. So then Job died and full of days. And it's not just the quantity of life, it was the quality of life that he had when God restored him. Job's confession, progression, intercession, and restoration. You guys know that God wants to bless your life? How many of you here would like to be blessed more in your latter years than in your former years? And it's been good. Some of you here, I look at you, I'm like, man, they're blessed. Imagine if God wants to give even more blessings. And I'm not saying that life is going to be easy. All I'm saying is that the blessings are the good things that come down from above to unworthy people like us. And so if you remember, we read in chapter 1 that he had 7,000 sheep. Now he has 14,000 sheep. He had 3,000 camels. Now he has 6,000 He had 500 pair of of yoke of oxen. Now he has 1,000. I'm trying to mix words here because I'm in a hurry, okay? 500 female donkeys. Now he has 1,000. I mean, he's just doubling everything, right? Except for the children. It's interesting. He, again, this time, he only has seven sons and three daughters. And that's 10. And you're like, well, wait a minute. I thought he blessed them twice as much because he had 10 in the beginning. Shouldn't he have 20 now? Well, he does. Because those 10 kids... They're all going to be waiting for him in heaven. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? That when we die as a people who are forgiven by God, that we will be reconciled not only to God but to our loved ones. So, man, now he has 20 kids. He does, you know. And when we get to heaven, I'm, I'm going to tell my kids, you've got to stay my kids. That's what I'm going to tell them, now. <laughs> No, I don't know. I know everything's different in heaven. Um, we'll still have that intimate friendship. Like, there's no marriage in heaven. But I tell my wife, we'll still be best friends, huh, babe? We're going to hang out, man. <laughs> but God blessed him. And, and the thing that, that he did, one thing that he did, when you look at the book of James, chapter 5, verse 11, is that he endured. That's what he did. He endured even though he went through all the hard things that he went through he didn't give up he didn't give up on life he didn't give up on the lord and therefore we should have that same heart we're going to get hit hard and we're going to get hit from angles that we would have never thought and things are going to happen to us that we in and of ourselves just don't understand you know trust god and and whatever you do, never, never, never stop coming to church. Never stop reading your Bible and praying. Never stop seeking God, man. Because as we endure, you know, through those difficult times, then what's going to happen is we will be blessed. Even if you've blown it, you know. Uh, again, try not to blow it. But even if you if you do, whatever you do, don't don't split. And and don't quit. Because Job is an example to us of obedience, but he's also an example of God's grace. That even though he fell short, you know, God forgave him and God restored him and God blessed him twice as much as he did in the beginning. And I'll close with this. We have the musicians come forward. Um, I remember one time I was talking to my dad because I... I've, I I talk to my dad, you know, every once in a while, and I tell him that I talk about him, so don't think that I haven't gotten his permission, because his life, it really does bring glory to God, but, you know, my dad was a heroin addict, man, and I remember, you know, just even times as a kid, I remember when he would go into the room, and he would do his own thing, I remember, man, he would steal, you know, from different people, he would even steal, sometimes my mom's shoes, I mean, just crazy things that we do when we're hooked on drugs. And then I remember my dad, you know, being homeless on Skid Row, you know. And um, you would think that, you know, there's no hope for him. But there is, huh? There was. And I remember when I got saved and I gave my life to Christ, I started sharing with my dad. My dad was an atheist at one time. I don't know, you know, his whole history, but, you know, I still remember the day that he went to church and he had a broken leg and the pastor did the altar call and my dad went forward with a broken leg and he gave his life to Christ. And then God just started blessing him and it took a while because not everybody changes overnight, but eventually he came to a place where now, when I talk to my dad, we just fellowship about the Lord. We talk about the Lord, and he always writes, praise Jesus, when he writes to me, you know. And we talk about, you know, the Dodgers. We also talk about, you know, the Lord, and, and it's, it's just a really cool thing. But I'll never forget what he told me. He said, you know, uh, my favorite verse in the Bible is Job 42, verse 12. I said, that's me. Where the Bible says that God blessed the latter years of his life more than the beginning. And it's cool, huh, that God is the God of the second chance. And so I do pray that you guys would know that and that he would bless your life, man, that he would You know, even if we've blown it, you know, every day up until today, you know, God has a new beginning for us.